thankful for the grace of the Lord. Why don't we just slip our hands up one more time? I feel that grace moving in this place today. None of us were deserving. None of us were worthy. But the grace of God reached down. The love of God picked us up and drew us near. It wasn't for His amazing but God bless our Sunday school teachers. They pay a price. They many times want to be here and in the sanctuary Sunday after Sunday. They're out there teaching children and young people. I thank God for their sacrifice and pray the Lord richly bless them for what they have done. schedules, events, all of these things will be in this app called Planning Center. I'm not the most technologically advanced individual, but even I've learned how to get on and kind of find out a little bit of what's going on, reports that I need, I, I get back through that. So I encourage you, and also your children. Uh, we haven't made the announcement in quite a while, but I want to say it again. As soon as service is over, make your way to the Sunday school rooms as quickly as you can. And uh, we're having check-ins now in the beginning. Uh, these kids are getting stickers that are identifying them. Believe it or not, we had some kids back there that we didn't know who the parents were. We're trying to prevent that. That every kid, we know who the parent is, who's the point of contact. We just want to do everything we can to make sure we've got a safe environment. And number two, we're the most efficient with the harvest that God's bringing into us. So I thank God for all of those that are part of that. Sister Taylor, she's not in here, I don't think, but she's helping with that planning center. I thank God for her help. If you got your Bible, Psalms 132. Today, I feel such a, a, a pull in my spirit. And I'm going to quickly identify, I'm reaching for the helpless, and I'm reaching for the hopeless. And if you're not in that category, then I'm asking you to let the maturity of the spirit you have pull with me then for those that are helpless and hopeless. God wants to minister. You know, we always define the pastor as the one that takes care of the flock. But I've got a scripture that kind of throws a, another side to that. That he's not just in a maintenance mentality or posture. But the Bible says when one sheep was lost, that shepherd left the 99 and went after the one. So there's a twofold duty that a shepherd has. One is to take care of the flock. But then there comes a time, he says, okay, I've got these here that are mature. They're going to take care of it. I've got to reach now this morning for that one that has lost his way. So I'm, I'm giving the bulletin ahead of time. I'm reaching for that one today. Psalms 132 and verse 5. Until I find out a place for the Lord, a habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. David writing in this psalm, 
dated after actually wrote, but it was spoken of during the closing of his hours. I will find a place and a habitation for God was his desire. One more verse. You don't have to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost, or the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Two verses there in, in this writing of Paul. He's saying or asking a question with a declaration in, intertwined. Are ye not? You are the temple, he says. But then he says, if any man defile that temple. Defile, a very interesting definition. I want to read it in its totality. In the opinion of the Jews, the temple was corrupt or destroyed when anyone defiled it in the slightest degree. Or damaged anything in it. Or if its guardians neglected their duty. To lead away a Christian church from the state of a knowledge and holiness. In which it ought to abide to perish. But really the first one is the one I want. Defile means in the slightest way damage. Or negate my duty as the guardian. I want to preach today from this thought. Place, purpose, people. It'll make sense in a little bit. Just lift your hands and let's ask God to talk to us. Jesus, I ask for your help. Let the anointing of God flow on all of our hearts today. Let it not just be another sermon, God. We don't need sermons. We need a message from the throne of God. And I'm asking you to help me to deliver what you've put in my spirit for us as a people. That the purpose of God can reach the people of God. But we've got to create the place of God. I ask it today in the name of Jesus we pray. Everybody say in Jesus name. God bless you. You may be seated. It's just a observation. Let me just make a few preliminary comments here. It's been my observation that uh, some of the things and terms and statements we've made in our church goings, our Christian uh, affiliations, many of these terms I'm seeing now are terms that people that doesn't or do not come to church on a regular basis, it's unfamiliar to them. We say things in church or we'll say things to our church brothers and sisters or friends that, that, that we almost get our own language and, and that's good. I'm not painting it in a negative. I'm just trying to get you to see there's a dichotomy between our own language that we speak uh, in our own Christian circles or church circles that to the world this is foreign. I noticed just the other day that, that even some of the things back in the, the older days, preaching has changed. Back in, I, I, I pull old tapes back of Brother, Brother Hicks and, and, and old Brother Glass and all these older preachers uh, year, years gone by, Brother Gambling. And, and I hear a common thread. Even my grandfather's notes I have. He didn't have a computer all he had was a Thompson chain Bible and a Cruden's concordance or Gruden's concordance, whatever it's called, concordance. That's it. And when I looked at his notes, Brother Bush, now all that was there was a title and about six scriptures. And that's all he had wrote down. That's sermon after sermon after sermon. But what they did have was they had a fixed position in their relationship with God. That it didn't matter what the seasons may throw at them or the changes that would come to church. And I was in a conversation with someone just the other day and they were telling us why uh, women ministers didn't take place years ago. And, and their, their thought pattern to it was, was great and I agree with it and, and or, or what they were saying it all meant. Not agreeing or disagreeing about the women don't 
take a side road here. Just let me make reference to it. And, and we were having a great, pleasant conversation. And we were in agreement with what the organization was saying and all this kind of stuff. So it was good. But what I noticed out of that, I recognized that, that the seasons have changed. And what worked back then might not work now. I'm not talking about doctrine. Doctrine never changes. Doctrine never changes. I'm going to say it again. Holiness things never change. Those things that are in the Word of God are still the same. If we can teach it from the Word of God, it never changes. In the course of it, I recognize that what they had of then, even though the season changed and new mindsets came, those men had a relationship with God that never changed. Their positioning was they were never going to move. But here's what really hit me and began to birth this message this morning. They made room and a place for God. They made a place for Him. Now you say, well, things were a lot slower back then. They were, but they weren't. We use that as the element. I've used that as the excuse for which why I can't do what I need to do today. Things are busier. Yes, they are. But they had the same level or measure of distractions. If the word of God says there's nothing new under the sun, then there's nothing new under the sun. Whatever happened then happens now. And whatever gave them victory then will give us victory now. This is first about place. Next, it's about purpose. And then next, it's about people. Because if I can find a place for God, He will reveal His purpose for me in that place. And then in turn, it will affect people that I'm around. Now, let's reverse that order. If I find a place for myself, people are constantly going from job to job. Marriage to marriage, spouse to spouse, girlfriend to girlfriend. Oh, it's going quiet now. Because here's why. The place is filled with themselves. So now the purpose for them is I've got to find happiness in something else. I've got to find my fulfillment in something else. I'm going to do something that's going to bring me a temporary fulfillment. And now the third one, it affects people in an adverse way. When I don't feel the place with the right thing, it affects my outlook and purpose on life. And it affects now everybody that I'm connected to because I never found place for God before it ever started. I feel an old-fashioned prayer. I feel an old-fashioned prayer meeting wanting to move up on somebody. I feel an old-fashioned sermon. God's trying to deliver to you and I. We can't be filled with the things of the world, but we've got to be filled with the love of God, the presence of God, the grace of God, more than anything in this world. And the answer to the helpless and the hopeless today is let God find his place in you. Because here's the thing. Before you ever took your first breath, God made room for himself in you. That's what created in the image of God is all about. It's not over here, here's a carbon copy. Yeah, that preaches real good, but it's more than that. I'm created in the image of God. There is an unlimited space to place inside of your human spirit that God has reserved for himself. And that space is small in our very beginnings. But the more of God we get, the more of that place gets bigger and bigger inside of you. You may pray. Here's how David said, I magnify the Lord. David was not saying, I come to God and now I'm good. My praise is going to magnify you. Here's why. God can't get no bigger than he already is. What David said is, I'm going to praise you and you're going to be enlarged in this place within me you're going to be magnified within me with this new understanding I begin to see 
these old timers, they had the message down. But they weren't having to teach. I don't find nowhere in my grandfather's list of messages where he talked about how to treat the house of God. I didn't find it nowhere in there. I didn't find it nowhere in there where it talked about how to, in his messages, maybe he preached it. This is just what I found, my observation. Because back then, it was the doctrine. It was the oneness. It was just constant. And, and I've heard there's, man, the more oneness you, and I'm not getting away from any of that. But I'm seeing now a generation, they call them now Generation Z. For long we're going to be out of letters. We got A, B, C, D. We, this is Z now. I don't know how they come up with Z. And now we got a generation that's come up. They don't know how to be a mother. Come on, somebody. They don't know how to be a mama. They don't know how to, how to be what you, some of you white-haired elders, they don't know how to do. You say, well, it's unnatural. They ain't to the point of unnatural they're going to dump the baby. But they don't know how to work and how to raise a kid. You say, what are you talking about? Here's what I'm saying. We've got to create a place that God can come here and dwell. That's the tabernacle and the temple. But God says, I'm going to take it a little further. I want my spirit to dwell in you. That you become the example. That you reveal to people. Let me get to my message because I'm, I'm, I'm out of air. This story with David and Saul. Brother Ed, David and Saul. The reason I talk about it so much, David so much, because there's nobody in the Old Testament that is a better type or more exemplified as a type of Christ. In the Old Testament, there's nobody but David. So the more you hear of David, it should anytime you hear it immediately, Christ. Our mind should quickly go over. It's not just a story in Sunday school. So in my mind, in my heart, my spirit, I've wondered, God, man, it's like I can't get off of David. I've outlined him backward, forward, writing all in my Bible from 1 Samuel all the way through to Samuel dies in 2 Samuel and whatever the chapter is that he, he goes on. But I want you to see the beginning of how this man dealt with the transitional change in seasons. The nation of Israel was in a hopeless, helpless situation. Saul was king not by God's choice, but by man's choice. Man, it seemed like was rising up. The will of man. Is there anybody other than me that you've been in situations that it looks like the will of man is triumphing over God's will? This is where they are. And it looks like the will of man is greater than what God. It's almost like God's on a sabbatical. God, where are you at? Where you had in all of this, these, these, these epidemics, these situations, these addictions, these problems that people are facing now. God, we don't have time to go through AA. I thank God for all these things and organizations that try to help people in rehabilitation. But you know what? It was never meant to be that. It was supposed to be you come to a place and you find an experience in God and it doesn't matter what's going on in your mind, in your body, whatever you're addicted to, the power of God can change it. I still believe that the Holy Ghost can change your life, your family, your home, identify your purpose and help you reach people going through the same thing. But if we can't get the place, we'll never get the purpose. We'll never get the people. That's why people can come under the sound of preaching and hear the most convicting messages and leave and say, I'm lost. So they'll drink themselves into oblivion. They'll smoke themselves into oblivion. They'll do anything of pleasure to get out of the reality when really all it's trying to say is, is God wants to fill the place. And if we let God feel the place that he's intended, you and I will find the peace like we have never found before. Because the Bible said he's the prince of peace. Now, I'm just a very ignorant person, but if I get Jesus, I get peace. If he's the prince of peace and I make a 
place for him to live in my life through the baptism of the Holy Ghost, then I'm going to get the peace of God in my mind. Suicide's got to go. Depression's got to go. Hopelessness has got to go. Why? I made a place for the presence of God. But hear me. Here's what's happened. We have, we have birthed in Christianity this kind of just, it don't take all of that. Just kind of keep coming to church. and That's great. That's good. You, you, we come. But it's got to be more than that. It's got to be more than I'm just coming. Because here's the difference. He's in this place, but he's in that place. And we can come. I'm going to prove it to you. We can come here and feel the presence of God. That's where Saul was. Hear me. Saul had the presence of God all around him. But 1 Samuel 15, God says, I'm done with Saul. Now, I, I'm, I'm going back and forth, and I'm going real fast, so stay with me today or you're going to be lost as a goose in a hailstorm. Saul started because of man's pick. Saul, in the course of his life, had one place of an altar, and it was too late. Next after that, he ends up at a witch. And Saul's ending was a witch, and he dies on a battlefield. Pretty dark, huh? world ain't got nothing on what happened in the Old Testament. His ending was catastrophic. And in all of that, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 15 that God rejected him, Brother Joe, and left. Now, here's the kicker on the whole thing. God rejected him, but he left him in position. Come on, somebody hear me. For almost 10 plus years, Saul stayed in the position of the king with no God. So what it tells me. God. Watch me. God didn't reject him publicly. God rejected him in secret. And many times you don't even know. God's rejected you. But you're still in the position. That's why some people can come on a church pew. And they can sit here for several years. Then all of a sudden they're just gone. Because somewhere in their life, they never looked at themselves and judged themselves. Oh, I'm messing up a good message right here. They never looked at themselves and judged themselves and say, you know what? I'm wrong. With an honesty. They never do it. And that's why people can come and go and they never look at the mirror and say, I'm wrong. And they can never get better for God to fill the place. I'm not saying you confess your sins to a priest. You don't confess your sins to me. You confess your sins to God Almighty. Look in the mirror on Sunday morning and say, God, I'm a sinner. You've now started the journey that God can fill the place in you. That's God's greatest desire. God doesn't want you hurt. God doesn't want you to lose your mind. God, does, You say, well, why doesn't God come in and tell me to put the gun down? God's not going to do that. Can he put an angel? Sure. But not many times. God's waiting on me and you to do what David did. See, here's the difference. God rejected his, uh, Saul, but he left him in power. He held the position while secretly rejected of God. It don't end there. You say, well, Benoit, that's Old Testament. I'm glad you said that. Let's go to New Testament. Matthew 23. Matthew 23. You can find it if you want, if you fast, not. I'll quote it. Matthew 23, about verse 26. 20, read of 25. He said, I sent my prophets to you. I sent everybody to you. What is the purpose of preaching? He said, I sent my prophets to you. I sent my seer. He, he went even detailed. Look at this, Stephen. He even said, not just my prophets, but I sent my scribes. I sent my teachers. That's why don't let anyone ever tell you, all we need is just preaching and no teaching. We need preaching and teaching. He said, I sent my, and we need the prophetic. I sent my prophets, I sent my preachers, my evangelists, and I sent my teachers. And all of them are trying to show you, here's the, the, the whole reason for the Bible. That you find a place for God in here. And he closes with verse 28 of Psalms when he says, Judah, 
I'm done with you. Now you're a desolation. You will become desolate. You will become vacant. Now here it is, Brother Joe. Here's the New Testament proof. God in Matthew 23 and verse 28 says, I'm done with Judaism. But the temple stayed in place, Sister Jeannie, until 70 A.D. That's about, this one was about 28 A.D. when he says it. So for several years, the temple's in place and there's no God to fill it. Let me tell you where this thing's going. In churches all over North America, they're pushing God out and filling it with self. And if ultimately, we're gonna, if we're not careful, we're going to end up like the Jews, that there ain't going to be no spirit in the building left. It's just going to be a form of godliness, a form of coming to church. We dress real good. We shout real good. We'll give him a shout. It's more than just coming to church. It's God wanting to fill you with his presence that you and I have a place that everywhere we go the presence of God is now with us that's why anybody ever tell you you don't need the Holy Ghost it's essential for salvation they're absolutely wrong you say well you're very angry yes I am I come against that false doctrine it's a lie from the pit of hell the Holy Ghost is essential and without it you cannot make heaven Oh, come on, Brother Benoit, be a little. I'm just being as loving as I can. I'm tired of people being lost by somebody telling them, you don't need the Holy Ghost. You slip out of eternity today with no Holy Ghost. According to the word, he said, with a flaming fire of vengeance, I'll come against those. First Thessalonians 1 and 8, with those that obey not the gospel. Now, I'm going to go back to helpless and hopeless. That was just a cliff note. Folks, this is all about God's presence. And he starts with, go back to the Old Testament. Well, let me go back to Saul. Then I'll go to the Old Testament. Saul, he was rejected. There's the New Testament place for it. That God lets you sit in position and he's still gone. But see, while God and the nation is in darkness, and now this transition is taking place, now you read from 1 Samuel chapter 15 all the way until 1 Samuel. Lord, it goes all the way into David's anointed in 18 or 17, wherever it's at. And then he goes on until his final appointment in 2 Samuel chapter probably 3 or 4 is where then the family brings him in. And then he's anointed above the nations. The point is, is it took a long time for God to uproot something that looked the part but wasn't. And God's trying to show us by the example of Saul and David that it may look hopeless today. It may look like the nation's going down. I, I, I say it for even us. It looks like the nation's in trouble. It looks like our economy's in trouble. I'm just bringing it secular right now. It looks like families are in trouble. Whatever happened just to the good old leave it to beaver family? Oh, y'all don't know nothing about that. Y'all don't watch TV, right? Whatever happened to leave it to be with just mom and dad, five o'clock, you eat supper. Now you're lucky if you eat it at seven, eight o'clock at night. Oh. And if you're lucky, you get a chicken nugget. God forbid you get some good green beans and peas and a beef roast. Why? Because we're running a race that God didn't call us to. And we wonder why we have no peace in our home. And we got suicide in our kids. And we got bullying in the schools. We wonder why we got people ready to give up on life and quit. And alcohol or addictions are through the roof. We wonder why. When really, if the church and us, everyone under the sound of my voice, will make a place for what God wants to do in us. You won't have to go through uh, some, some uh, resource class to find your purpose in life. Find your purpose. You know how to find your purpose? 
you get alone in a prayer room. You say, Ben, while well, you being so abrupt or harsh. No, I'm not. I'm preaching to a generation. They don't understand all this. They think they go through seven days of a seminar and they're going to figure out their purpose. Or maybe they'll get a secular Christianity or a secular Christian that's going to just kind of tell them a little. No, no, it don't work that way. It's when I find a place for God in my life. I begin to pray like I've never prayed. I begin to fast like I've never fast. I begin to just hunger for God. Maybe you can't fast five minutes. Maybe you can't pray 15. But if you can do one, then that's a step towards him. Take that and let it go into two and let it go into three. We got it now so quick. The convenient family, and it's only for all you elders. Yeah, you know, and I, yeah, I got a birthday coming. That's two things always coming a death and a birthday. <laughs> but here's the kicker I'm seeing with this next generation, they're good people. They're ready to do something for God, but they don't know what to do. And we're trying to give them purpose without place. We're trying to give them positions in churches. Brother, you taught me this years ago. I'll never forget when we were working the young couples. We had like 60, 65 young couples. And what we were pastoring, literally pastoring these 65 young couples. And in the course of pastor, man, I, we had broke down in groups. We had four, five, six groups with a leader, an assistant leader. I went to him, and it was always a challenge trying to find a leader. That's so sad. See, nothing changes. That's 30 years ago, 25 years ago. And I'd say, Brother Ewan, what about, well, what about this one? He said, well, Bubba, I said, but Brother Ewan, it might be the thing that would kind of push them forward. He said, never put somebody and expect the cream to rise once in the position. He said, you let the cream rise first, then you take the cream and put them in the position. That's why now we birthed a generation now and a mindset now. Anybody, everybody got a ministry. No, they don't. No, they don't. All have a thing to do for God, but it doesn't necessarily, putting it under the banner of ministry might not be that. That doesn't mean they're any less than. That just means God's got a specific purpose for that one that he doesn't have for this one. Well, I'm hitting up against something in the spirit right now that don't like me talking about this kind of stuff. See, because we want to just, come on, Benoit, we ain't going to grow a church like this. You know what? I don't want to grow a church that ain't filled, that's wanting the things of God and the purpose of God. But if you want help, then our arms are open, our doors are open, our, our hearts are open. Well, so Saul rejected, lost his position. See, but here's what it was. It started, Michael, from the very beginning, Brother Bush now, in the tabernacle. God said it in the beginning. I want to make a build, a tabernacle. No building. This is badger skin. Jacob, that's all it was. It was a bunch of skins that was on the outside, a rectangular thing. And God says in Exodus and Deuteronomy, he says, I want to dwell in the midst of my people. And you build a tabernacle that I'm going to dwell. Now watch. That's how God presented it the first time. Because he's gradually trying to get the message to the people. Watch, this is, this is just, he puts himself there. But don't make you serve him. So God starts it like this. He puts a Moses in front of you. Saying this is the glory. This is the presence. This is God. This is what he wants to do. This is, And it's from the delegated authority. That God speaks to the people. Because he never spoke out of his glory. So what God does is. Is trying to see. Do you want me to feel this place? I'm going to come and manifest my presence. And I'm just waiting to see that can you, can you reach in your hopelessness and say, God, I don't know if I've got the strength right now, but I'm going to do everything in my power to reach for you in an hour of desperation and determination. God says, I put my presence in your midst. I'm going to dwell. But there ain't no Holy Ghost in the Old Testament living in people. They're moved on by the Holy Ghost. They spake by the utterance or by the Holy Ghost moving on them. They were moved on by it. They spoke prophetically and directionally. But it was always this, the building. 
And that's many times what church is. Church is you and I coming to church. You're hearing delegated authority, the preacher. And the presence of God is dwelling right here. And God says it like this, Brother Langley. God says like this. I'm not going to beg you. We've gotten into begging. My humanity just begs. Please live for God. You don't have to go through that if you just live for God. But God don't beg. You know what God does? God's merciful, 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 merciful. And when God says, okay, I'm done. Oh, yeah. I cut you down like Saul. And the man of God is that intercessor in between. Please, God. It's the Moses coming and saying, God, please don't do this to him. Please, God, don't do that to him. Please, God, come on, God, give him a little. And he intercedes on behalf of the, this. You see it, sissy? So he's here. And God's saying, I'm not going to force myself on you. I'm not going to make you. I'm not going to come to you. And next time you go kick that Michelob back, I'm not going to grab your hand and put it down. I ain't going to do that. Because I want you to love me for who I am. And here's his promise. If you will love me for who I am, I know you're helpless. I know you're hopeless. I know you cannot fix yourself. God knows that. We ain't got to tell. He, he knows that. But he's looking for me to say, God, I love you for who you are. Now, love comes with obedience because he says, if you love me, you will obey me. That's why people that say, I love God and don't obey him. There's a little contradiction there. I need to strive to obey him because it proves my love for him. Understand? So here's what he's saying today. God, I love you. If we can say that, I reach for you today. In whatever way it is, God reciprocates back and says, I know you can't fix yourself, but my promise is this. I will break that demonic hold over your mind and over your body and over your family. Folks, we've got to get back to building a place for God. We've got sons and daughters that are bound. They're bound by alcohol. They're bound by addiction. They're bound by... They're bound by all kind of things under the sun but if you and I will create a place for God out of that place God will reveal purpose to you and I and then he will begin to touch the people that you and I are connected to the greater the place we build for him the greater the magnitude of his delivering power that will help you and I in an untoward generation we can't play church no more we don't have time. We don't have time. So now, musicians, y'all get ready. I'm, I'm, I'm coming down, coming down. So here was David. It's a dark situation, but here's what happened. Saul never looks at himself and says, I've got to. He never found a place, Brother Roger. This is hit just real simple. He never found a Psalms 51. He never found a Psalms 32. What that means is he never found the place like David fell. That when David fell, David said, create in me a new heart. Renew within me a right spirit. Change me, God. I can't change myself. I can't stop my addiction. God, I know I got myself. Please, somebody, hear me in the Holy Ghost today. I, God knows you're the one that got you in this pickle. God knows that what they did to you caused you or made you feel like this is what you needed to do. You need to hear me. God understands that. But David and Saul's difference was David went to God and said, God, forgive me of what I've done. Forgive me and create in me a new heart. Renew within me a right spirit. And Saul never did it. You may tell you what puts favor on one family and favor on not another. It's the favor of God. That's why people get jealous over other families. Well, they got more money than me. They're more blessed than me. Their kids are saying, you know what the difference is? It rains on the just and the unjust, but you hear me. What put favor on David was he made a place for God, number one. And to that family, to that young couple, to that young person, to that single adult, to that elder. If I'll make place for God where Saul did not. Now here's the kicker on the whole deal. The ark was out in the wilderness. This whole place for God, the ark was lost. 
It was lost. And Saul never did nothing about it. But David said, I'm going to do something about it. That's why I've said it so many times. I'm broken my record. God is going to raise up a Davidical generation. A David generation, a tabernacle of David again that says the glory's coming back home. The presence of God is coming back home. The, the miracles are coming back to the church. Repentance is coming back to the church. Holy Ghost infilling is coming back. You say, well, it's already here. Yes, it is. But I'm talking about a refreshing of the Holy Ghost like we've never experienced before. Why? Because the hour's dark. It's like Saul. But if I can do what David did, Change. David, y'all come. Musicians, y'all come. Here's my clothes. David found that he didn't build it, but it was in his heart to do it. I love this, Brother Charlie. And here's what I love about it. It speaks of two generations. I'm going to use you as an example, Brother Charlie, me and you. Let's say... You had much bloodshed on your hands, your generation. David, you're David. It's a positive. So because of the bloodshed, here it is. You did what was right. It just wasn't the way God, I don't know. He just said, you can't build the temple, David. You got too much blood. Why God said it, I don't know. I ain't going that far, and I don't want to put my neck out there today. I got a feeling, but I don't want to say it. But the fact is, he couldn't do it. But it was in his heart. And here's what was in his heart. Created me a new heart. He was repentant. He was tender before God. He wasn't opinionated, brat. He didn't just, he was tender before the things of God. I've seen more people get things from God with just a brokenness. I've talked to some of you elder men. And many times when I talk to you, I see tears rolling down, rolling down y'all's cheeks. Weeping before the Lord. I said, hey, and tears just roll down. Why? Because there's a tenderness. And here's what we can say, brothers. I'm not saying we missed it, and I'm not saying nobody did anything wrong. Just hear me. David, something happened that he could, but he was in his heart to do it. And God says, I'm still going to favor you because it's in your heart to do it. And then the next generation picks up the Solomon. Don't you go getting a bunch of wives. Stay put. Yeah, you stay put. You one to handle is enough. So now the next generation comes in and we got Solomon. And they get to build the place. When you study that word habitation in Psalms 132, the word habitation goes to you. The first meaning, the topical, Strong's definition is tabernacle. So what he was saying was habitation means tabernacle. So when David said, I'm going to build him a tabernacle, the deeper meaning to that, Brother Charlie, it means temple. Temple. Well, you say, well, Benwell, what's that got to do with what Jesus or Paul said in Corinth? He said, for you are the temple. See, the Old Testament was, it went from tabernacle to a building and a temple. And finally, God says, I'm leaving the building. I'm leaving. No longer will I be in the building because now I'm changing from this to a mobile temple. Because now I'm fixing to birth the church. And the church has a purpose. For the gates of hell shall not prevail over the church. So God's saying now, if you find a place, let me fill you with my spirit. As an individual, you now will become the purpose of the church. That the gates of hell cannot prevail because what Adam messed up, hell took over. That's why we've got sin. That's why we've got hurt people. That's why we've got broke homes. And as long as sin is in the picture, there's going to be trouble. But Jesus said, I'm not going to leave my people with a hopeless situation. I'm going to come. I'm going to release my spirit. And whoever receives my spirit. Oh, Brother Bushnell, did you fight this spirit every time you preached? I feel something like cotton wanting to go down my throat. 
Short of breath. All them heart attacks. Uh-uh. Vietnam. They can say what they want to say. That spirit wore you out. And that's what he wants to do to me. They say, well, slow down, Benoit. Just talk to us. You understand, this is what God wants right now. When he wants me to slow down, he slowed me down. And God didn't slow him down. Let's read what I'm saying. You're the temple now. And watch what he says. Next verse after that. You go to it if you want, Brother Ron. If not, in John. He said, don't defile the temple. He said, don't you damage that temple. I I may preach this again next Sunday. Y'all better just get ready. Watch, 15 people won't come. But he said, don't damage the temple. Why are you trying to mess up what God made? Why are you trying to do things to your head, your mind, your spirit? He said, don't damage it. This is all you got. You only got one body. I'm going to help somebody. I know they've done their best. They give us heart plant transplants and they can give us transplants now. But, but it was never God's intention for me to destroy my body. Here's the one I really love. You better guard that temple because God's wanting to put his spirit in it. God could have put his spirit in a dog. He didn't. He could have put it in a, he even compared, he said, y'all are even lower than worms. Some angels and lower than worms. I mean, we're at the bottom of the chain, right above a worm maybe. What he's saying is, is we ain't all that, Brother Sean. Here's what makes us valuable. God loved us. And God wants to fill this place. And he picked us above all the other creatures of the earth to fill us, to become the temple. I got to guard a temple. He goes a little further and here's what he says. David, he went from God and him building him a place. The second thing David did was God revealed his purpose. Over and over, you see what God did through David. That's why I said a while ago, Brother Charlie, it's a positive. He conquered many things that most people didn't conquer. He won the battles. That was David's purpose. And then after that, the Bible says, David went in and amongst the people. David took what he had learned in prayer, and he went and brought it to the people. Place, purpose, the people. And those three components is what brought the favor of God on David. You say, well, David numbered people. That was David's mistake. David committed adultery. That was David's mistake. But through all of that, God still helped David. Because David learned to be honest and transparent before God. And the purpose of God will reveal itself. And the people of God will be a part of that. Stand with me. gave us the example David was our Old Testament type Jesus was the New Testament fulfillment he was God manifested in the flesh for you and I if you're facing the hopelessness and let me tell you folks I've used the example when Silicon Valley took a dump in the sea they had people, they had to put cops at Golden Gate Bridge because they were jumping off the bridge almost on a regular basis because suicide, people lost their mind because they lost millions of dollars. Folks, what's going to happen if this thing don't get better? And I'm not saying live for God because things are bad. You live for God because God's good. That's relationship. But here's what I'm saying. If you can live for God just because God... I want to build a place for you. It don't matter what they do. 
it don't matter what the world does. It don't matter what the government does. It don't matter if we can't get food. We're going to dig a well in our backyard. We'll get water. I got three amens from five of our elders right here. We're going to dig water, Brother Charlie. <laughs> we, we, God's people is always going to come out on top. Don't wait till it's too late to try to get on top. You can do that today by just taking your hand, stretch it to the heavens. I ask this congregation as a whole, everything that's got breath in his body, stretch your hands to the heavens right now. Because we're all a little bit helpless and hopeless in our world right now. And God's saying, just create a place for me. Come on, lift your voice with that hand right now. Just close your eyes. Nobody's listening to you. Don't worry about your neighbor. Close your eyes and just talk to God right now. If you're physically able, raise your hands. Lift your voice right now. God, I want to create a place for you. Some needs to repent right now. Some needs to just thank God for the message today. God, I thank you for the challenge. I thank you for the encouragement that I got to build a place today. Come on, lift your voice right now. Lift your voice. Let's make a place for God. Our families, our kids, our home is dependent upon this right here. It's that simple. It's not joining a church. That don't save you. You change your name on the sign and make it anything you want. That don't save you. What saves you and I, did I make a place for God in my life and heart? Step out of that pew right now. If you're with your family, step out. Families today. If you're by yourself, come and invite all. Come on, lift your voice. Talk to him right now. Come on, I'm not going to belabor this. Just talk to him in your own way right now. Ask God to forgive you. Wash, wash me in your blood today, God. Come on, guard your temple. Don't tear it down. You only got one temple. You only got one body. Don't change it.